Hi, I'm Dan Permac, and welcome to Axios Recap, brought to you by Amazon. Today's Saturday, March 13th, and we're looking back at this same week last year, the week America changed. This is our COVID-19 Decision Maker series, conversations about some of the most consequential decisions made this time in 2020. Today, we take stock of the decisions made during that week with someone who says he would have made them differently. Ron Klain, the former Ebola czar under President Obama and now President Biden's chief of staff. Klain was outside the White House in March 2020, but he was a regular media presence, giving interviews about how the pandemic response was falling short as the virus spiraled out of control. Behind the scenes, Klain had Joe Biden's ear. As Biden became the frontrunner for the Democratic Party that week, Klain was able to advise him on what would become the defining issue of the 2020 election. We'll sit down with Ron Klain to hear about that week from his perspective in 15 seconds. We're joined now by White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain. Ron, what's your most vivid memory from the week of the shutdown? On the night of the shutdown, I had been scheduled to be a guest on Rachel Maddow for like a five minute segment to talk about my views on COVID and how Trump was botching it. And so I went to New York, I was on her show. And over the course of her show, first, Trump gave his remarks to the country, addressed the country that night. And I commented on that. I thought you could just tell how badly he was mishandling it from those remarks. And then while I sat there, the news that Tom Hanks was sick came in, the news that the NBA was shutting down came in. And, you know, just to kind of experience this like live on national television as it was unfolding, you know, it was just really incredible. And I, and I, I, you know, finished her show. I think it went late. I think we finished like at 1030, whenever it was. I went back to my hotel in New York, slept, woke up the next morning, took the first train I could back to DC and sent out a memo closing our office in DC, closing the private office I was working in in DC, a venture capital firm. And so that night obviously was pivotal to the country. It was definitely pivotal to me. And definitely was, it's one I'll never forget. I mean, I'll just, you know, it just was an amazing series of events to unfold one after the other in that one single night. Do you remember the moment when you realized or thought, I guess, that COVID-19 was about to become the kind of pandemic you had been preparing for with Ebola? I think it was really a buildup over the course of late January into February, into March even, as we saw one after another thing go wrong. Along with Jake Sullivan, who was a policy advisor in the campaign, now is the president's national security advisor, we really were kind of front and center in terms of campaign policy advice around this and started to pull in public health experts to advise uh, the then vice president as he developed his approach and started to kind of lay down his positions on various issues as related to COVID. I remember when I advised him on writing this first big op-ed he did on it late January, and and people were like, why is some guy writing for president, writing about this virus thing? It seemed to a lot of people like it wasn't really a central issue when he wrote it. And obviously, I think it turned out to validate his judgment about what was going on early, and I'm seeing it early. In February, I testified at the very first hearing Congress had on COVID at a time when people thought, eh, no big deal, whatever, and tried to really kind of raise the alarm, raise the alert on it. Uh, and then like, almost every week in February, you saw a sign that this was getting worse and worse and worse. So I think it you know, built over the course of that month. And so, you know, we would talk about it frequently, talk through February into March as he started to develop his policy proposals on it. 
that week when America shut down was the first week he gave a big speech about COVID, which I played a role in helping him draft and helping him think through. It was very much something we were thinking about from a policy perspective, starting really in late January all the way through when this thing really exploded in the second week of March. And that's why today I'm releasing a plan to combat and overcome the coronavirus. The week of the shutdown, you know, around that, that second week in March, you started to see how this was really going to unfold. The last primary debate was that coming week clearly impacted the vice president's travel. He had won this historic primary victory on Tuesday, March 10th, the same day that the governor of Ohio, where he was about to go celebrate that victory, said that, uh, you know, you, you couldn't have any big events there. And so the vice president last minute flew back to Philadelphia and gave kind of the last big in-person speech he gave of the campaign on primary night, Tuesday, March 10th, in Philadelphia, instead of being in Ohio. I was supposed to be in Arizona. We started to talk to the DNC about canceling the debate or moving it, as we ultimately did, to a, a CNN studio in D.C., where Senator Sanders and then Vice President Biden debated in the very last debate of the primary season. Really, that week was the week where it obviously impacted America, but you could really see the impact it was going to have on our political campaigns. How did you think about your role at the time uh, as a pandemic expert in political exile, as possibly the next person who could have a major role in shaping the response? Well, I saw my role a little bit as a private citizen who had had experience managing an epidemic that was in West Africa that had a threat of coming to the U.S., being a spokesperson around that, and also an advisor to the person who I thought would be, should be the next president of the United States. And so, you know, my role was to try to give advice to then Vice President Biden about how to explain to the country that there was another way to do this, that the pandemic taking over our country wasn't inevitable, and that there were things we could be doing better as a country to fight the pandemic, that we should put science first, that we should listen to scientists, public health first. How did you feel through all of this? Like most Americans, I felt very, very unsettled. I mean, I think that you know, I think it was clear that something bad was happening. But I'll be honest, I, I certainly didn't know we'd still be at this a year from now. I certainly didn't know how long this would go on. I think I was kind of more pessimistic than most experts. But even then, my pessimism was, well, surely we'll get this solved by the summer of 2020, not that we'd be here, you know, a year later. Part of this was I didn't really think the Trump administration would botch it as badly as they did. I thought eventually they would get competent people in. They'd listen to competent people. They didn't. They obviously had this ridiculous thing where they tried to marginalize and isolate Dr. Fauci and other experts who were telling the truth. It was hard to see that coming. But I'll also say, like a lot of other people, I just had a lot of anxiety. I had my own kids uh, who were living in New York as this was going on. I had my other son in school in Boston. Like all parents, I was worried about my kids and what was going on. I had a lot of the same fears and anxieties that everyone else did uh, during this period of time. Ron, what do you wish had been done differently that week? America was horribly behind on testing compared to other advanced countries. And because we were horribly behind on testing, we really had no visibility to what was going on in the country. I mean, we were really flying blind in the middle of a hailstorm. And that was really what was front and center of my mind. So when the president said that night, well, I'm going to shut down travel to Europe. What was on my mind was we really had no idea how much COVID from Europe had already come here. And then when he botched the announcement itself and suggested that even Americans wouldn't be able to come home, which he ad-libbed in the middle of a presidential address about policy, he ad-libs that line, all of a sudden everyone runs to the airports. You have thousands of Americans 
you know, bunched up in airports, probably spreading COVID among themselves, bringing COVID home. That fiasco was just kind of obvious and kind of clear. That what we now know was that the disease was already here in very substantial numbers on the East Coast, largely from Europe, not from China, but largely brought to America from Europe. And by the time Trump announced this kind of botched travel ban on March 11, the horse had already left the barn to a very, very, very great extent. And I will say my my instinct was that that was probably true, but my instinct was definitely that we just didn't really know what we were dealing with here in this country. How do you think that week, that shutdown week, changed the course of American history? It, you know, really reflected the fact that the the country hadn't been prepared for what was coming. And people were making these kind of ersatz ad hoc decisions. And so, you know, I go back to Nancy Messonnier, who I've known for a number of years, who's the deputy director at CDC, who on February 26th issued the warning where she said, I've told my own children, we need to be prepared for American life to change. And then, you know, she was shut down by the White House and not allowed to give other public statements after that and and so on and so forth. And I think had we had a more rational process between that time, February 26th and mid-March, where the president had come to the country and said, look, this is what's going to happen. This is how we're going to phase it in. This is whatever. Instead, we had this like this kind of meteor hit from the sky moment where a combination of Tom Hanks getting sick, the NBA canceling some games, the NHL canceling its season, all kind of unfolding, left everyone to wake up that next morning, that Thursday morning, and not really know where the country was, what was supposed to happen, what we did next. That kind of chaotic, disorganized unfolding of this set in motion what happened for the nine months after that, which is kind of a series of chaotic, ad hoc, self-supporting decisions. We never really had a national strategy. We never really had a national plan. We just had a bunch of people running around trying to make do the best they could with the limited information that they have. Ron Klain, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Dan. We'll be back in 15 seconds with something else that was happening in D.C. that week, the race to save America's economy. Welcome back. As we reflect on how this one week in March changed our lives, I want to revisit a huge development from March 13th, 2020. That day, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin announced they'd reached a deal on an economic stimulus package. Now, an $8 billion deal had already been signed March 6th, but this one would be 24 times larger. Here's Pelosi from that day. The three most important parts of this bill are testing, testing, testing. Of course, there was more to it. The package also included expanded unemployment benefits and access to paid sick and family leave for impacted workers. It also wasn't enough. By the time this bill was passed, Congress was already in negotiations for another stimulus, which ultimately became the $2.2 trillion CARES Act. In short, Congress managed in those days to break out of its partisan deadlock and pass major sweeping legislation to support American families and businesses. But after March, that collaborative spirit dissipated. And for much of the past year, people have had to rely on the legislation passed in March 2020 and the benefits those packages established just to get by. Big thanks for listening and to the team behind this series. This episode was produced by Naomi Shaven, Tim Shovers, Amy Padula, Alice Wilder, and Alex Sugiora. 
Research and fact-checking by Oriana Gonzalez. Dan Bobkoff is our executive producer. Have a great national Good Samaritan Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with the final episode of the series featuring a conversation with United Airlines CEO, Scott Kirby.